0: We begin by acknowledging that the land on which we produce this podcast is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe people. This territory is covered by the Upper Canada Treaties. We acknowledge the enduring presence of First Nation, Métis and Inuit people on this land, and we believe it is important to move forward in the spirit of reconciliation and respect. Hi, I'm Kimberly McKenzie. And I'm Paul Nazareth. Welcome. Welcome. the The intersection. Consultants. Do you need one? How do you find one? Clients. How do you know they're a good fit? Who breaks up with whom and when? What does a successful client consultant relationship look like? And how can we work together to get the very best results for our organizations?
1: consultant's friend or foe right and i love this topic so much because so many people that we know and we've known over the years have moved in between these two spaces Mm -hmm. and again the whole point of this podcast is to talk about things that we can't talk about anywhere else Mm -hmm. and I, it really bothers me how many times different conferences and communities say things like we can't have consultants only, you know, speaking alone at the conference.
0: That that was me a long time ago. I felt I've, I've, I, I think there's probably a blog post on the internet where I complained about consultants at conferences. So, sorry. Well,
1: As I shared in the last podcast, uh, Adam Grant's uh, book, Think Again, I think so many of us come to different points in life, ages and stages, Mm -hmm. and and come to a place where we understand something. And I'm happy to share it today. Mm
0: -hmm. Our opinions evolve. You know, before we get started, I think maybe for this one, we should just establish a couple of ground rules. Um, Let's not name names. Okay. And let's let folks who are listening know that we're not talking about any one agency or charity in particular this you is a very general <laughs> conversation
1: people read into stuff and I know, is, like, yeah.
0: people have all sorts of stories going through their heads right yes. so um so this is a general conversation the our hope is to maybe improve the relationship or create a greater understanding
1: mm-hmm. around around it yeah,
0: it's also a session I pitched to conferences so many times and nobody mm-hmm. really wanted to put it on there. How to work. That's why well. we're here. Yeah. yeah. So here we are. Yes. Um, did you know that I I actually, you know, I've been writing a book for like a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to call it the authentic fundraiser. But speaking about that, think again. I'm now playing with calling it the reluctant consultant because mm-hmm. I never wanted to be here doing this it wasn't the plan.
1: And that's where I've tracked so many of the the consultants. Uh, And for me, I call consultants experts. You know, I, I often, when I used to be, now I help run a conference. But I always used to say, these are the people who everybody spends the rest of the year saying, can I pick your brain and go out for coffee? And then they're at a booth at at, at the conference and everybody treats them like a pariah. (laughs)
0: and They don't wanna go near the exhibit hall,
1: yeah. (laughs) It is that that uncomfortable reality in the business development side. And again, we know who's doing it well and who's not, Mm -hmm. right? So it's really about that expertise. And so many people who are in consulting I know are long-term practitioners decades-long practitioners who are bringing so much to the table. So it ticks me out sometimes when people treat them like some sort of external sales machine.
0: Well, that's something that I've learned. Uh, Mm. I have evolved in my thinking because as a generalist who was working in small shops, I had a, a misguided perception that consultants were talkers, not doers. Right. And there I was in the trenches, sweating away, under resourced on that hamster wheel. And it felt to me it looked like the consultants got to do all the fun stuff while I was doing all the work. Right. Um, But I now know. I now know that there is value in someone who consultants are also practitioners, many of them and there's value in having the experience of multiple organizations
1: and you know I've seen a trend in change because you know consultants to me when I started 20 years ago were very much a big shop with many people and they had a building mm-hmm. and and a methodology and a you know and, and a an overhead plan. well a, you know what yeah today I actually have seen way more again practitioners turn consultants and one of the things that touches my heart is how they are as much a coach as they are a strategist. Mm -hmm. And so I've watched several people we know in fundraising and what they're doing with the internal person besides helping them with the strategy and the tactics is coaching them, coaching them on how to work with their peers, how to manage some of these issues, sharing stories of other like-sized, like-minded shops, problem solving. It's, It's a bit of a new day.
0: Absolutely. The, um, that's the biggest part of my business, uh, to be honest, is helping folks manage change and, and influence. Well, we're going to talk about that in another episode, but helping fundraisers love their jobs and be successful in their jobs. And it's hard to package that up and sell it. So you sell a legacy program or a major gift program or something. Um, but but really, you're, you're, the coaching piece needs to be... Um, recognized for the value that it brings i think yeah,
1: yeah. because you know if they could, you could do all the tactics in the world you could produce a great uh direct mail piece together
0: mm-hmm. but
1: if there's no culture of philanthropy if the fundraiser is isolated orphaned and alone and they're not effective in the job that they do mm-hmm. it won't matter a damn
0: you're speaking my jam that's me trying to sound cool that's my jam paul well, um,
1: <laughs> you're on clubhouse and i'm still stuck on whatsapp
0: yeah, well, we've got to get you in there because <laughs> we've got to get you in there somehow. Um, so how, what do you think, how do you, how do you know whether or not it's a good fit? How does, here, here's, the, here's the huge injustice of our sector. This is what happens. Organizations pay a search agency a lot of money to find somebody really smart and talented then they hire that person and then they don't listen to that person. And that person needs to hire a consultant to come into the organization, to say what the person they hired was already saying. So it's unfortunate. I mean, you know, I built a pretty nice business out of that dynamic, but it's unfortunate
1: that that's the reality. You know how you've built your business too, in the sense that again, so many of uh, uh, people are now their peers their peers to practitioners as opposed to an expert coming in, showing them what to do. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's the tough part and you're right. It is a ridiculous injustice. And I know many search people as well in the charitable sector. And even they are frustrated at the concept of bringing in somebody strategic and smart and actually very often too, how many times they actually bring people to a board or leadership from the sector. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And how many times now the board's saying, no, 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 we want to parachute it in executive dude who, you know, comes in and raises the shop uh, when we really know, and this is a succession issue as well. Uh, and that is a place where I'm seeing consultants help. And there's a whole bunch of them who I'm often even trying to kind of pluck out of the single shingle life.
0: What is that? What do you mean by that? What is that? I mean, You know, just there's make a make lot of people who could
1: be directors of development and could make a, could just do so such amazing things. But actually for a lot of for a lot of people they've also just grown past the bs of of office life and bureaucracy and hierarchy yeah and i I tell them for a lot of them you got to give yourself self-permission to say i'm done with this yeah you know it's one of the um, reasons i'm not in a direct organization anymore too
0: being independent um i am unleashed yes and and i have had clients say i need you actually you were one of them i need you to say this because i can't correct i don't know is that okay for me to say
1: no that's the reality that's the reality we've got to help ourselves with that until we can change the culture
0: yeah
1: um but that's one of the challenges of this nuanced relationship again that's why i'm excited to have this conversation right now and like just spill it let's spill it right because there's also a lot of new people coming into fundraising a lot of people who are growing their fundraising roles from being an executive director or other things and they got to go and learn this nuanced relationship all over again so let's let them know what the market looks like
0: mm-hmm. the best the very very best relationships that i have had with clients have been relationships with the director of fundraising and the executive director mm-hmm. that is the critical relationship within an organization but but you, you know i have to say one of the most frustrating things for me as a consultant, is to be talking to somebody who has paid five figures for a fundraising plan. And we're, we're talking, you know, organizations that are raised less than $3 million a year. So they'll pay five figures for a development plan and they'll think that that plan is the solution to all of their problems.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's still sitting on the shelf. And to so, the pain
1: of everyone involved.
0: I, you know what, that's fair. That's a fair comment. Um, And I do put in statements of work that I'm not responsible for. I I don't promise that you're going to raise any money because Mm. it depends on culture. It depends on resources. It depends on your constituents and your programs. There's so many things that need to come into play to actually grow an organization. Mm. It's just so sad. (laughs) <laughs> to me that, that the development plans w- weren't useful or helpful in the organization getting the traction that they need. So I think there's another conversation that needs to
1: happen behind that. Again, look at, look at my world of legacy. You know, some of the, the biggest legacy shops out there came to the table. We had this one great conference where some of the biggest consultants in this space openly said, it is to our sadness that we go and generate all these leads that no one's got the capacity to follow up on. Mm-hmm. We've, you know, one of them even said I'm going to getting out of this business because I feel like I'm doing the donors and the organization a disservice by making a promise that no one keeps. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: so that's yeah. about the translation, the translation of the idea and the strategy into action. And there is a missing piece there. And I think, when clients and consultants have conversations around plans and strategy, there needs to be an extended conversation about translation. What's realistic for your organization to get some quick wins right now? And then how do
1: you build on that? Again, how has the market evolved? Because I, I do referrals almost every other day. You know, again, Adam Grant's last book, Give and Take, I do, it's called Five Minute Favors and I'm shooting something out every morning uh, to connecting people. But one of the other things is that the market has devolved into an a la carte culture. Mm-hmm. So people don't say anymore, I need to create a fundraising plan, or I need to help with culture change, or, you know, I need to even raise more money. Mm-hmm. They call looking for a mechanic for, you know, I need to replace one headlight. Yeah. I need the case for support. I need an annual fund specialist. And you're like, you know, why do you keep, the, you know, fixing up one part of the a car? yeah it's all one thing right so this is the challenge to in the consultant culture is people say i want someone to come in laser and fix this one thing Mm -hmm. but it's a big engine this is what we mean you know i think that also we need to differentiate between a culture of philanthropy and the operational health of fundraising
0: Mm -hmm. it's i firmly believe that if you change your culture you change your results and it is that baby in the river analogy that a lot of charities are stuck pulling the babies out of the river. And one of the first, they come to me and they say, Can you please help pull these babies out of the river? Translation, help us make more money.
1: And it's I the say, most Terrifying analogies in the world. Although, it's No, I
0: know so it's a classic parable. parable. You got to look it up.
1: It okay. is, but God, babies in the water, man.
0: Okay. Uh. It's just a story. <laughs> <laughs> Any Hans Christian Andersen's story is going yes, to take you to that true. dark place too. Correct. <laughs> so who's throwing the babies in the water And mm-hmm. and that's always the first question. Why isn't it working? What's broken right now? Because we can dump a direct mail pack on your desk or we can teach you how to talk about legacies in your organization or we can do a donor engagement audit, but let's look at the system and figure out where it's really broken. And- I, just,
1: I can see though, Kimberly, in my mind, I can see the faces of fundraisers who I refer to as caged animals because they are brilliant tacticians. They are just nuanced yeah. donor donor engaging, again, engagement professionals, but they are fighting the culture of their organizations. Brutal hierarchical cultures where people try to control what you say you know, here's our script and you're and you're just this is the, my, my great frustration with a lot of really great organizations because they have established brands. They've also got stagnant culture and I watch great fundraisers, great people go to those organizations and I know that they're just being plugged into yeah. a light socket to do one thing when in fact flexibility is their superpower uh, and someone needs to let them go to be creative. To make mistakes to try different things mm-hmm. right so that's that's one of the big things i think in all of this has to change for both practitioners and consultants
0: yeah. yeah yeah well and so to the the relationship with the consultant is key and i guess consultants need to know when to push when to push people and organizations beyond their comfort zone mm-hmm. and when to accept that for this organization this is the best they're going to be able to do today
1: and i think again uh, practitioners and shops need to do uh, homework in, in a sense that you know again i see people people come to me for referrals and they're we need someone in 72 hours and i'm like oh my god who's dying right and to learn about uh, even about the, the personality the strategy of that particular group you know there's a there's a few consultants out there right across the country who i mildly resent because They've created a really good gig for themselves in which they say, "I cannot grow in X soil, so I won't work with X type of organizations, X type of people, X type of hierarchy," mm-hmm. and they're very good at articulating that and being clear up front. Yeah. But others who are also not in a privileged position of being able to pick and choose, they get brought in, and again, they're they're put. They're, you're trying to plant seeds on concrete. Yeah.
0: Well, I've had a couple of clients like that, which, I mean, we broke up. Yep. And and that, that being mature enough to be able to have a conversation and say, you're paying me too much money. You cannot afford to pay me for no results.
1: So what's the solution here? You know what, it's funny that you mentioned Clubhouse in the sense that too, I believe what we need to do. And this is where I, I highly respect our colleagues at the Association of Fundraising Professionals, the nonprofit networks, we gotta hang out we got to get to know each other. And that's one of the things I think that we could start doing differently, because that's the question. What are we going to do differently about this problem? We need to all hang out in similar places and spaces, get to know each other, our strengths, weaknesses, our culture, the strategy of a group, so that you're bringing someone in knowing what you're bringing in, as opposed to always friggin' blind dating. Culture, you know, consultant referrals right now are more like Tinder than they are. Are (laughs) they? Yeah, I don't like it, Uh, again, in the sense that uh, for me as someone who, uh, you know, I say, I put it out there. I'm happy to be the sector connector and people come at me hot for referrals. But again, because they're at need and a la carte, I worry sometimes it's not a good fit and they'll both, you know, not do what they need to do together. Money changes hands, but the the effect isn't there.
0: That's the scarcity mindset, right? That I mean, that would be the advice for the consultant is that unfortunately um and i and i think just this past year there were not a lot everybody was in survival mode mm-hmm. this past year and there mm-hmm. were a lot you don't think, I saw okay. some people.
1: I saw some people who pushed out and it was glorious.
0: Okay. We need to so okay. We can't change the subject of the podcast in the middle of the podcast. So we need to just put that I have got yeah. a bunch of sticky notes of stuff okay. Okay, every time okay. something comes up.
1: Survival so, and thrival. That's another episode.
0: Yeah. Well okay. So how do you know that it's a good fit at the beginning?
1: Mm-hmm. So Wanna again, I'm again. I do all these referrals all the time, and I think deeply about this. Again, people sometimes will say to me, "Paul, I asked you for one thing, and you sent me nine names." And because I believe there's nuance to everything, so there is the cultural fit, there is the personality fit, there is the tactical strategic fit. So I say, here's someone who matches your size of shop. Here's Mm -hmm. someone who's ultra tactical to the specific thing you're trying to do. But frankly, I know it's a bigger picture. And here's someone who has a bigger bigger picture thinker Mm -hmm. who works on culture, not just the mechanics. Mm -hmm. And so I always try to help people make that fit and say, you know, Goldilocks this thing, talk to different people, find the right fit for you. Uh, So yeah, so that's what I think that people need to give themselves time, permission to do a bit more. To get just to like search other. consultants, yeah. reach out ahead of time. Again, we got to get to know each other before the ball's on the field.
0: Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And, and the tactics are pretty much the same,
1: right? So oh, dirty secret. but That's the truth though, right? In the sense yeah. that people, they just want this different dressing or whatever. And you're sure. like, look, the stuff at the center, that's all the same. And that's all that core strategy.
0: It really has, it really, a successful consultant client relationship really does depend on how, on the personalities involved and how well you get along. That has been my experience. Uh, I have not worked in large agencies. I don't work with hospitals, universities, or capital campaigns. So maybe in that area, that is different. But when I'm working with a mid-sized organization or a small organization, and they need systemic approach to building their overall portfolio, it really has to be
1: about. I still think it does in the bigger shops too, because again, when I when I look at the the large consulting firms and agencies, uh, as much as it's a it's a really big thing, we're talking about tens, hundreds of millions of dollars, mm-hmm. right? So w- when there is not that sync, mm-hmm. boy. It's a disaster. Mm-hmm. It's like saying, you know, we're going to put these two pieces of a ship together, but we're not going to weld them.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you're going to sink, bro.
0: But that's the thing that, that makes us all look bad. You know, they, there is uh, you think that fundraisers are perceived as car, used car salesmen, and, uh, in all due respect to used car salesmen. Mm. But, you know, uh, consultants are branded, I think, even worse.
1: And I, di- and I despise that. Yeah, again, you know, there's I, I'm sure I know there's, a, there's some out there that are, you know, not great or, you know, have, have stuck to an old way. But so many more of them that I know these days, again, I don't even consider them consultants. They are practitioners who are free range and organic, free run, you know, mm-hmm. they, they've simply escaped the tethers of the matrix and are free radicals out there. And they're bringing strategy, they're bringing tactics. You know, it's funny. I had this one colleague of mine, another part of the country, and they were trying to convince the in-house person more about programmatic strategy, about um, the tactical unison of the different departments that, again, culture of philanthropy, annual, major, leadership, the machine must work. And the internal person was the one who was saying, no, I just got to do my thing Mm -hmm. because in the hierarchical world, we're at war and I want to win, you know, my battle.
0: Well. Uh, part of the intersection, I have to say, one of the, the big inspirations for the intersection is to help fundraisers love their jobs more and stay okay. in them longer.
1: Yes,
0: And I think through these conversations, we'll be able to do that. There, there are folks who are in the sector, who are working in organizations. And I mean, let me back up. One of the first questions I ask I, I was just courting a client. I'm going to back. Okay. See, these are all the different thoughts going through my head. Sorry. I know. I had a brand new client who came to me and the very first thing there was a direct mail letter. It was about to go out the door and they had done it in house. And he, he said, I know we haven't signed a statement of work. And this isn't really what we're, oh, no, no, there was a coaching retainer. So it was what I was there to do. But would you, would you take a look at this letter? It was ready for the printer. Ugh. So the, um, which is the worst stage of anything to ask for advice thinking, on, right?
1: I've been in that position.
0: The, my question back to this person was, I'm trying not to use pronouns. Mm to this person was, um, how much power do you have? Because as a director of fundraising, if I give you a bunch of changes that you then have to go and talk to your director of comms and your executive Mm -hmm. director and get board of approval on, it doesn't matter. We'll just draw a line under this appeal and we'll move forward. So it really does come down to how much power the, Paul, we're on
1: video. I can video. see, I can see these mean? Twitter threads threads in my mind of truly great writers and practitioners who have been out there trying to help everyone about group think, group writing, making making materials that not they're not just effective but touch the donor's heart, speak to the thing. I'm I'm just reliving my own trauma of having <laughs> that one time of having a direct mail piece yeah. in my shop that would make or break me in my in my job. And I didn't have the support or the courage at that time in my life to fight. Yeah. And it, it really was um, a great colleague and uh, not even a consultant, someone who worked with the male uh, shop that helped me to have the courage to, to learn how to push back.
0: Well, and that's what it is. It's it, asking ourselves, does it really matter? Given everything that we need to do in this moment, does this letter, is it good enough? You know, what is that phrase you keep telling me as we produce this?
1: The, the gift that my colleague Malcolm Burroughs gave to me, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good.
0: Right. I love that. I love um, so sometimes as a consultant, we may think what best, we may think we know how it could be better. But if that person doesn't have the power and if they have so many other things looming, then it's not worth it. Fortunately, in this case, he said, oh, I have all the power. And I said, then we're going to rewrite this thing. <laughs> tell a story and we're going to change it and it worked out
1: beautifully mm. um, but, but many of not. our listeners don't so you know no. a reminder to life is long right. right again everybody talks about Simon Sinek's book start with why the most reference book in the world that no one's actually read uh, and his latest book is even more powerful it's called the infinite game mm. that as much as bosses and boards talk about the fiscal cycle as the start and end screw mm. that there, our our donor journey is the lifetime of that donor, and we even know we could get the next generation if we do our job right. Yeah, and it's it'll always be the next ask. Yeah. There's, be another, there's
0: another opportunity. You know, you, you someone I worked with used to say, "Which hill do you want to die on today?" Oh boy! And for that, perhaps that's not the hill. But when it comes to you know what, one of the things when it comes to consultants and uh, clients. Um. I think as consultants, I think there may, there are some consultants who say I won't uh, do any back and forth. There's no negotiation. There's no edit. And I fundamentally disagree with that arrogance. I'm just going to say that. Um, All right. Let me share with
1: you though. It's also, I think sometimes people protecting themselves from that boss uh, kind of rework, rework, rework that, that people will have 98 friggin' edits if you let them.
0: So you say three.
1: Yes, say too, and that's what I believe because, is flexible. Yeah,
0: we have to we have to make sure that what we're saying uh, is fact checked with the program staff. We have to make sure that we layer in the organizational culture, mm-hmm. and we can do that while pushing while pushing them to be a little bit uncomfortable. Because yeah. you know, if they're a little bit uncomfortable, they're taking a risk, they're doing something new and different, and that's good. Yeah. But um, the, we need to factor in organizational culture and uh, it, and we also need to put out fundraising materials that anybody who works in programming can support and say, yeah, I believe in this. And I know, I know, I know, I know there's people out there right now saying, oh, but the program staff always make it look too scientific and, you know, they won't let us write real human fundraising copy. But mm-hmm. But that's the negotiation, you know, when we get to influencing change, we'll talk about how to tackle some yeah. of those things. Um,
1: how do you fire a consultant? You know, I've actually seen more times where the consultant has said, this is not working. We've got to part ways than an institution firing a consultant. They usually fire a consultant because the thing doesn't raise enough money or like really basic tactical things. Mm. Um, But these days, again, I'm seeing more people who are practitioners that are saying, I'm here to do good work. Mm-hmm. And if we can't do good work together, then I'm sorry. You're going to have to find someone that'll just let you pay them to do tactical things. Yeah. 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 So that's the, the, the state of where, I, where I'm at. I'm enjoying one of the things I'm enjoying about this podcast too. And people know that there's the, there's the video and there's the audio, but you and I both uh, consistently are pausing and I can see us both think how much trouble am I going to give my I know.
0: I know. <laughs> I know. But it's like, well, I was going to say I think Simon Sinek is pretentious, but then I thought, oh, I shouldn't say that probably. No,
1: you go for it. Again, he goes back and <laughs> it forth. Doesn't sound you very bet. Nice. He put out that thing on LinkedIn going advice for nonprofits a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, come on, Simon. Right. Um, I think, again, I think Daniel Pink has a way stronger connection to nonprofits. And again, actually fundraisers, his yeah. book to sell is human. Yeah. He went real deep with real yeah. fundraisers yeah. talking about our challenges with that uncomfortableness.
0: And Adam Grant and his position of service. I just think he's brilliant. And so when they all want to come on this podcast, um, we can talk to them about those. There things. we go. <laughs> uh, so what are your thoughts around as we just wrap up this one? Mm. What do you think, this is me putting you on the spot, because we don't plan these conversations very much, uh, FYI. Um, How can we improve the relationship, the collaboration between consultants and charities?
1: So, you know, famous overused uh, saying that that I lived by in 2020 was, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm-hmm. And I, I firmly believe, and this is why I'm this networking enthusiast. We just need to, we say collaborate, but again, it's at need. It's too late when the business is on the table. Mm-hmm. We need to hang out. We need to use the spaces, the clubhouses, the LinkedIn, the Twitters, mm-hmm. and, in, and double down on our professional communities, whatever they may be, either local or national or virtual Mm-hmm. And spend time together before the business is on the table. That's something mm-hmm. I have seen time and time again. Gain great w- wise people have shown me that's the way. So if there's anything we do yeah. differently, that's you know what I feel I've seen really works better.
0: You know, one of my most satisfying clients was the one where we worked for two months to come up with a plan. And then I coached him through getting board approval for that plan mm-hmm. because we collaborated on. The work that we were going to do together and um
1: well i've been your client most recently and you were guiding our organization and community through an exercise and you're halfway through three quarters of the way through we were just like oh this is not gonna do it it's not gonna happen that's right and oh. my you know, one of my colleagues who had been a consultant said trust the process trust the individual you hired them for a reason and we came full circle and we reached the apex of the strategy and just it was like watching a nut unravel and the magic happens. And, it, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that we're trying to help create. I want to see more of that.
0: What I love about Paul, you need to stop doing that.
1: <laughs> it, again, if, it, if people are not good, I'm not hanging out, but well, when, you know, you're know, you one of the, you're one of the people I've, I've said before, you know, my golden crabs. One day we'll talk about that. But these amazing people that I just have put my money on.
0: Well, um, I'm loving talking to you, and I hope that we've started a dialogue about consultants and charities working together, and uh, people can connect with us on the Intersection Hub website and on Twitter and uh, Facebook page. There will be a Facebook group soon. Well, actually, probably before this is published, there will be a group where people can continue these conversations, and I'm grateful to have that. Wherever your arguments
1: happen, there will we be.
0: <laughs> yeah. oh, oh geez, here we go. Okay, well let's hope for some robust dialogue around that.
1: Yeah.
0: Thanks, Paul. Thanks. Hey, you next time. Well, hopefully that sparked some ideas for how you can have an effective client-consultant relationship for your organization. We look forward to continuing this conversation eventually in person, but until then, on any of the virtual platforms where Paul and I hang out. You can find us by visiting intersectionhub.ca forward slash engage. Thank you for sharing your time with us today.